as I said before, it's such a delight to, to be here together with all of you. I've been looking forward to sharing some reflections and hopefully maybe a little bit of exploration together at the end <clears throat> around this topic of anger. And one of the reasons I wanted to come back to it with all of you is because what I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed something similar, is here we have this one word, anger. And yet when I've slowed down to really look at all the different expressions and nuances of it, I see that there's this one word that's being used for so many different facets of this entire emotional landscape. And what's been important for me in my spiritual practice is to one, acknowledge the, the bigger emotional landscape that we call anger so that I can learn how to be with it more skillfully, both individually, but also how it can play out collectively as well. And so this is what I'd like to do, share with you some reflections on these different facets of this emotional landscape we call anger, <clears throat> and maybe also how to practice with it. And the first dimension that I want to begin with is, you could say, how it's classically spoken uh, about by the Buddha in the Pali discourses, these Pali suttas. And it is true in the suttas, there are a few different words that's, that are used for anger. And some of you might know that some of these Pali words, like one of them is dosa, <clears throat> which is sometimes translated as ill will or hatred. Yet it's also translated as, as anger as well. And then, uh, Koda or kupita, which means to be offended or angry. Kujati, which means to be angry, that state of being angry. And I want to take time with this first dimension, not to say that this is what anger is about. I want to use this as a kind of a staging ground and then to expand from there. And probably with this first dimension, many of you heard these teachings but I want to review them so we start in the same place and then to explore, you could say, different facets of this emotional landscape. And I think what I've noticed, at least in Theravada Buddhism and what we could call early Buddhism, is that anger, it's, it's described as this destructive force, and it is. Right? Anger, and you've probably seen this, it, it can be a destructive force within our communities, our society, our families, and it can even destroy our own hearts and minds. Maybe you've noticed this. And this particular dimension of anger, what I want to point out about it is that that's its particular flavor. It's destructive and it's harmful, and it's mixed with a sense of ill will. And what I mean by ill will is when I have ill will in my heart, there's a desire to harm or to hurt. And I think this is going to be an important facet because uh, we have to question if that's always there in anger. Yet the way it's talked about in the suttas and probably even later in Buddhism is this is the kind of anger of one that's filled with ill will. And I'm sure, I'm sure you know about this flavor on both ends. 
you probably like me, you know what it's like to act out of anger and hurt someone and you can see, wow, how harmful that is. And I'm sure many of you can relate to what it's like to be on the receiving end of such a flavor of anger and what it does. Like what I notice is how damaging it really is. And this is something that I, I think it's so important to remember. Like I remember there was a person who was becoming a friend. We started to connect more and more deeply. And then at some point there was, geez, a lot of it was a misunderstanding. But what happened is they, they ended up uh, yelling and screaming at me with rage. And we repaired it, you know, I, I really expressed how I could really understand where they were coming from. There was a sense of compassion. The person was really sorry about it. They really deeply apologized and I accepted that apology. So on the surface, on the, you could say the intellectual level, I got it, like we repaired, here we are, we're, we're buds again, we're friends again. Yet I, I wanna be honest with you, what I noticed is that it really deeply impacted my physiology. Even though I knew that this person had deeply apologized to me, that anger really landed in a way that it was tricky for me to feel fully safe with them. A willingness to be vulnerable with them was difficult because it was like it lodged somewhere in my heart. Even though I didn't want it to be there, there it was, I was hesitant. And it was a good reminder for me of like, even, even if I'm in a friendship or a relationship where there can be an apology, I don't want to do that to another person's physiology because it can really damage a relationship so deeply. And maybe some of you experienced this, you know, the person apologizes, they know that there's a wrong that was committed around anger and yet it, it lingers. There's a flavor of that that can take such a long time for our hearts to digest. And I think this is why for me, it's so important to be careful around this energy. And I maybe mean, we get talking about this energy because there, there might be a place for it, but I wanna talk about first, like this is potent energy. And so, yeah, it can damage relationships. It can of course damage our society and community, but also you've probably noticed how it, it damages our own hearts and minds. Like I know when I've gotten frustrated or irritated and my heart's carrying that around, it's stressful. Life is not filled with contentment and happiness and well-being or even often not wisdom either. It's like I'm hooked by something. And at times, sometimes, I want to point out, this is the word I really want to come back to again and again with everything I say today. Sometimes. I'm not making any universal statements about anger because I think it's so contextual and it's different in different contexts. So sometimes there's no use to get angry and sometimes in the most difficult of situations. Like uh, just one quote, uh, for example, a reporter once asked His Holiness, His Holiness the Dalai Lama whether he held anger towards China. And 
just remember the history of Tibet. There's a lot that it's very easy to get angry about in terms of harm and violence and oppression. And let, yet as His Holiness replied about the Chinese, he said, they have taken everything from us. Should I let them take my mind as well? I find this so insightful. And the Buddha points this out in a really interesting passage. He talks about if you want your enemy to win, then be angry, <laughs> right? They've won in a sense, they've clouded your mind. Like when I unhook from my anger, I don't follow the path that that person wants me to follow who hurt me. There's a resilience that comes when I don't play that game. And I have to ask, do I really want to give others that kind of control over me? So hopefully you hear the, the power of the heart when I get don't get hooked by anger. And then there's a, another dimension to it as well. And, and just one story about it. I, it was quite a few years ago, there was a situation where <clears throat> There was a teenager being harmed by an adult. It was kind of ongoing and and I remember and it was a, a situation that my partner and I could respond to. And and when I slowed down with the situation, it was like all of the things were so clear to be angry about. Right? There was clear harm done to someone who didn't have a lot of power by someone who should know better. And it was ongoing and it needed to be stopped. And of course, in my anger, I felt crystal clear about the situation. And not only crystal clear about the situation, I felt crystal clear about how to deal with it. And luckily, wise friends like my wife, <laughs> said to me, Brian, you need to take a step back on this one. And that was so important because what I noticed is sometimes anger can make me feel like I'm so right, like that I have the answer. And it narrows my ability to perceive the, the bigger picture at times. Have you noticed anger can be incredibly seductive? It can mesmerize us. Like the Buddha has this uh, such a poignant quote about uh, a saying about anger. He says, anger with its poisoned root and honeyed tip. Have you ever noticed this? Like the seduction of the honeyed tip of anger. And yet the root, the root of that plant is poisoned. It's poison. And we ended up taking action. Of course, we actually ended up taking more of a route of legal action. It was a much better approach. It was tempered and yet powerful and really ameliorated the situation. Yet I wanna use the story to point out this is where it gets complex or complicated. 
around such situations. Because I want to contend that my anger, there was something important in it, the energy of it, not the ill will of it, but the energy of it might have contained something that was super important for that situation and super important for my heart and for my spiritual path. Because I, I want to point out that I feel like there can be a flavor of, let's call it anger, this is where it gets difficult, that's not about ill will, yet it has a similar energy to it. And that it has a place in being human, in our humanity. You know, the, the famous philosopher, classicist Martha Nussbaum writes, uh, writes about this. <clears throat> And she uh, uses a, a story from Elie Wiesel. Some of you know Elie Wiesel. He was a famous Jewish writer who survived uh, the Holocaust <clears throat> and survived um, both Auschwitz and, and Buchenwald concentration camp. And so I want to share with you some of her words <clears throat> that's about Elie Wiesel and his experience around anger in a very different way. She says, Wiesel was a child in one of the Nazi death camps. On the day the Allied forces arrived, the first member of the liberating army, army he saw was a very large black officer. Walking into the camp and seeing what was there to be seen, this man, this, this uh, officer, began, began to curse, shouting at the top of his voice. As the child Wiesel watched, he went on shouting and cursing for a very long time. And the child, Ellie Wiesel, thought, watching him now, now humanity has come back. Now, with that anger, humanity has come back. Do you hear the power and the, the appropriateness of anger in that context? To enter into the concentration camp, there's something so important for Wiesel's heart to see the human natural appropriate response of anger. And do you see how this child responded? Ah, finally. Finally, after all this time in this concentration camp, here's an expression of humanity. It was the voice that understood that put that whole experience in its right place, namely that it was wrong. And of course, Martha Nussbaum is, is arguing that, that such kind of anger is important if we want to keep our humanity. And so I want to say anger is sometimes, remember this big word, sometimes, this is really important. Remember what I began with, it can be incredibly poisonous and dangerous. 
But sometimes anger is the simple recognition, this is wrong. And sometimes when our heart recognizes that something is wrong, it comes with a force. And I think this is important, especially in, in Buddhism, like in much of Buddhism, we are offered narratives or stories that are, that are often rooted in idealized notions. And I want to say those idealized notions are really important for a spiritual path. So I'm not saying we get rid of them. It's just that sometimes if they're taken incorrectly, we can lose the humanness that inevitably comes with these bodies and these hearts and a kind of wise humanness. As I said, idealized notions, they're important, yes. And we need to remember they are idealized notions and they can lack the heartbeat and the blood flow and the tears of these bodies that inform us in important ways. So I want to point out, like in this context, like thinking of Elie Wiesel, thinking also like here I am, I'm seeing harm. I'm seeing a teenager harmed by an adult in a way that's so clear. It was important for me to have that recognition fueled by the anger. So it's saying, this is wrong. You need to do something about it. So hopefully you can see how anger can be an important component of a process. And this is why it's so important to, I wanna use this word, it's part of a process. And I wanna come back to this process. This is where it gets complex too. You could say a, a process of realization or recognition in a number of different ways. As I said, it's sometimes involved in the process of realizing something is wrong. It's deeply harmful. It's like that recognition, I'm sure you've had it. I didn't realize that was so harmful and now I do. And now I feel the anger that comes with realizing that this is harmful, it's hurtful, it's oppressive. And there's the outrage that arises with this realization. And yet there's other dimensions that come with seeing anger as at a component of a process. Sometimes there, there's the realization, have you ever noticed this, when you find yourself angry and you realize, oh, I'm actually afraid. Oh, what I really want is control. Well, that's an important thing to recognize. Or a boundary, a boundary of mine or a boundary of my community has been broken and it needs to be addressed. And if I see anger as a part of a process, it can reveal that there's a crucial choice point in the process. Right, just as I told you the story of my partner and me around this harm that happened to the teenager, there is a choice point. I almost missed it. <laughs> Thank God for my wife, right? <laughs> this is spiritual friendship. There was a choice point there. I could go down the road of ill will and hatred, or I could harness that energy 
in a different direction to act, to act skillfully, not with the poison of ill will and hatred, but in a different way. And this, I think, is so important with anger, is noticing where the choice point is. You know, Mahatma Gandhi puts it well. He, he, he says, I have learned through bitter experience the one lesson to conserve my anger and as heat conserved is transmuted into energy. Even so, anger controlled can be transmuted into a power which can move the world. I find that this process that Mahatma Gandhi is talking about is important as a spiritual practitioner, as a, one who's committed to the Dharma. Yes, to feel anger, to see that it's appropriate in terms of the feeling of it, but then transmuting it into an energy that can change the world rather than destroy the world. But anger has a great deal of energy in it. And I want to point out the energy is not the problem, the problem lies in what's done with it, how you relate to it, how it gets transmuted. And when that energy is unencumbered, it's, it, it, I, I don't see it as a defilement. It's not entangled with hatred and ill will. And that energy can actually fuel a skillful response. So the energy of anger this is on energy. It allows us to have clear boundaries. It can fuel a skillful outrage or fierce compassion needed to address like systems of harm, addressing racism or sexism or harmful situations. I also want to point out a, another dimension of this landscape of, of the emotion of anger, and it's how there are narratives around anger that are wielded in our society. And I, I am being United States centric here because I can't talk about other cultures so much. But in our culture, sometimes these narratives of anger being unwholesome and destructive, it can, it can overlap with sexism in a way. And it can start to become gendered in an oppressive way. For example, and I'm talking systemically, I'm not talking individually, but often for women, given the way that, that gender plays out, there's often the societal messages that you're either nice and kind, but if you're angry, immediately that's a derogatory description. You ever notice that? <laughs> it's the obvious one, isn't it? And then there's the bind of what it means to be a woman. There's, there's, a, there's a bind, and it comes from more of a patriarchal kind of uh, perspective. And this still continues. Have you noticed if you, this in the political realm? Have you noticed, like, most male pa politicians, they're angry all the time. <laughs> and yet, when, when a, a politician who's a woman gets angry, the kind of language that's often used to describe them They get angry, and then it's then it's a comment about them. It's so unbecoming of her. Wow, she's so hysterical. She's really getting out of control, don't you think? 
Do you see how things can get twisted sometimes on the societal lef- uh, level and then, and then uh, uh, weaponized? There's a writer, philosopher, Sarah Ahmed. <clears throat> she writes so well about this. And I want to share with you, uh, with you a quote from her. I'm, I'm going to uh, change one word. Uh, she uses the word unhappy, but it, it also fits with the word uh, angry, because she's also talking about some of these uh, these societal notions that happen to women. She she uh, she writes quite a bit about it. She this, I think it might come from writing of hers called uh, "Feminist Killjoys." It's really fascinating, and she says. Feminists are read as they're seen as being angry, such that situations of conflict, violence, and power are seen as about the anger of feminists rather than being what the feminists are angry about. So what is she saying here? When a feminist gets angry, about a certain situation that's harmful, then it's like, oh, look what happens to them. They get angry. Wow, there they go again. They're going to get angry. Oh, my God. Are they going to get angry again? Please. Please stop it. Rather, what she's saying, than people being like, oh, what are they angry about? Can I understand? why they're angry. Do you see the difference here? One is a kind of blaming, the other one's a curiosity about that perspective. Martin Luther King talks about this in a different context, and I want to say this is dated language, so he uses a term that's not used anymore, but I want to share with you his words. He says, It is purposeless to tell Negroes they should not be enraged when they should be. Indeed, they will be mentally healthier if they do not suppress rage, but vent it constructively and use its energy peacefully, but forcefully to cripple the operations of an oppressive society. I find this so important to remember in so many situations. My job is not to tell other people how they should feel, but rather to listen deeply to them. Especially around these systemic forces of harm. And, and I want to be clear, when I'm sharing with you all of this, I'm, I'm still keeping in the back of my mind this word sometimes. I'm not saying all anger has wisdom to it. That would be foolish of me. <laughs> Situations are nuanced and complex. Yet I do know if I slow down to really listen to people who are hangry, it gives me a broader, deeper sense of what's going on. So how do we skillfully navigate anger? 
and all of these different flavors, this whole emotional landscape in a way that's taking in this complexity, this dimensionality. And it's, it's really learning what I find to be in relationship with it, to cultivate the capacity to be with it, not to be hooked by it, to be driven by it, but to be seduced by it, because I find it so seductive, but to be with it with capacity. And it, it can be different, I, again, I want to say, depending upon our social conditioning. Here in the United States, often, not always, but often, you know, for men, I know I was brought up this way, that it's, it, it's much easier to express, express anger and acceptable, or it's less acceptable for me to express sadness and fear. So I have to navigate and learn how to deal to to be with my emotional landscape sometimes differently. And for some some women, right? Okay, to express sadness and fear and vulnerability, but anger, ooh, right. And so to keep that in mind as we're being mindful of these, and then it is noticing. For me, I come back to the feeling in the body so much. That is the first foundation of mindfulness. How does it feel in the body? Can I have the capacity? And it's like if I bring my attention to the sensations of anger, I am less likely to get seduced by it or hooked by it. It's like it, can, it, it creates a container for me. And I'm, what I'm doing is I'm stepping out of the thoughts of what I'm angry about, and I'm curious about how anger itself feels. So I need to do this turn because it's the thoughts that want to seduce me and they're getting hooked by the story. Can I turn around and be like, oh, what, what does anger feel like? Here it is. And, and I want to point out when I'm noticing what anger feels like, I'm not trying to fuel it. This is such an art. There's a, there needs to be a kind of releasing and letting go in this way. So a lot of times I'm relaxing too. And it's this relaxing around and opening, I think, is so important. Now, James Baldwin puts it well. He says, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with the pain. And often what I found, find what's underneath anger is I've been hurt. That's why I'm angry. And when I can touch that I've been hurt, there's a place for self-compassion then. Something unfolds when I, when I soften like that. And I need to remember, this is what I love about the Buddha in this line of his, anger with its poisoned root and honeyed tip. Can I remember it's seductive. So when I feel like I am so right, to pause, my spiritual friends to talk about things. And I think this is why also why I'm, I'm extremely cautious, extremely cautious about raising my voice or acting out of that energy, transmuting the energy, yes, but being cautious around that. 
and I want to acknowledge I'm I'm saying that from where I'm socially located too. I'm a man. I'm white. I'm heterosexual, and those do play a role about how we navigate this energy, and also the context I'm in and the roles I'm in. So again, like when I share with you how I navigate it, I want to be cautious that again it's not to universalize it. Yet I, I do believe in the ability to transform that energy. And I'd just like to end with a, a quote from Martin Luther King that I feel like expresses kind of the force that's in that energy and it being transmuted into something else. He says in one of his talks, we shall match your cap capacity. He's talking about people who don't like what he's doing. <clears throat> we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force <clears throat> with soul force, this force of the heart. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a more moral ob obligation as is cooperation with good. So may we learn to skillfully navigate anger for the liberation of all beings. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.